about what does love really mean? What, what's, what's going on here? You know, love is a word um, that's been in the lyrics of every top 10 pop song for hundreds of years, right? Like, love is always up there. When we think about love, we think about things like the other week, um, I was at a wedding, and uh, Scott Weaver, some of you know Scott, um, has been a friend for a long time of mine. I've watched his girls grow up, and his oldest daughter got married. So they, the bride and the groom, they didn't see each other before the wedding. Man, when they walked around that corner and they saw each other, have you ever watched this in a wedding, you know, when the groom's up there and he hasn't seen the bride yet, she comes around the corner and he sees her for the first time, and they're just, they're like locked, right? Like locked, death stare, like at each other going like, wow, like they're amazed. You can see the expressions in their face. You know what I mean? Like that, that wow, they're in love, you know? Or maybe you think of like those moments when your kids were young as infants and you looked into their eyes and you were starry-eyed about having children and it was fantastic. And then they grew up to be teenagers and rolled their eyes at you and you're like, ah, oh, so much harder now, you know? So, so you, you, you get it, right? We use love casually. We say things like, I love to travel or I love that song. And, and we use it like it's just about stuff that makes us happy, like whatever makes us happy. We say things like, um, fall, I fell in love. I feel myself falling in love. And I think what we mean is we feel, this, we feel this strong attraction to someone, and that makes us feel like we're falling in love with that person But I mean, we, cause, because we can't stop thinking about them, because we have the warm and fuzzies when we're around them. And the psychological term for that is actually infatuation. That's actually what is happening physiologically in that time. And infatuation only lasts six to 18 months. That's, that's it. That's the length for it. So it's no wonder that then people fall out of love, right? Because they fell into love, they fell into infatuation, they fell out of love. So what is love? And why is it so important? Because part of the reason that this is important, this discussion is important, over the next eight weeks we're going to talk about love, and the point of it is, is that you all grew up in a culture, and some of you experienced this personally, like a, a, a broken family, maybe you experienced divorce in your family, maybe in your family, like, you, there was never any hugs. There was never signs of affection. I don't know what your past is, but my guess is that you've, you've experienced the struggles in what love is and what that feels like. You've experienced seasons of loneliness, places in your life where you feel insecure or afraid. And you know that the basis underneath all of that is if I felt loved, if I knew I was loved, if I understood how to express love, you've all been in relationships that have lacked this. And if there's one thing that everyone in this room has in common, it's that we desperately want to know what it feels like to be loved. We desperately want to experience it for ourselves, and we want to be in loving relationships. Loving relationships that inspire us to bring out the best in others. Loving relationships that bring out the best in us. You know, this is what Jesus was all about. Now, even if you're just checking Jesus out this morning, the one thing that's never debated about Jesus, the one thing that people agree on, they might not all agree on all of his theology, they may not agree on what, how he lived or his resurrection or all those things, but the one thing they all agree on is that Jesus was about love. That Jesus actually redefined love in a Roman culture and that it, is, it has affected people for the longest time. That, that the one thing that we can agree on is that Jesus established a kingdom, not a religion, but a kingdom, a kingdom culture of people that has outlasted 
and outperformed any other culture that is based not on power, not on geography, not on any of those things. It is based entirely, according to Jesus, on love. And if you wonder, is that really true? Let me just start with the scripture that we're going to spend our time in today, which is one of Jesus' closest followers and friends. His name was John. He recalled Jesus saying, and this one scripture kind of encapsulates it. Jesus is like, let me sum it all up for you fellas. Following me, let me just sum it all up in this one statement. Here it is. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's, that's what Jesus said. So it leaves us with this question. How well do we love? How well do you love? Because Jesus said, as followers of Jesus, it's the one thing that we should be known for. More than anything else. That the church doesn't depend, the success of the church, accomplishing God's mission to rescue the world. It doesn't depend on political power. It doesn't depend on wealth. Jesus was never about like, hey, if you just had enough money. It doesn't depend on perfect theology that if you just worked out all of your beliefs, that would solve everything. People would know that you're my followers. It doesn't depend on deeper preaching. If just the preaching, just that guy was a little bit deeper. Sorry, folks. Like that, that, it doesn't depend on that. Jesus didn't even say it depended on that. What did he say it depended on? Love. That's it. It depends on this one thing, love. Imagine. Imagine if we could love like Jesus loved. Imagine if you had the companions in your life that would come around you and knew how to love you, knew how to inspire you and bring out the best in you like no one else could. Can you imagine the powerful way that would release God to work in your life? Can you imagine the security that you would feel when you went out into your job, when you worked with other people, when you were around people that were hard to love, if you had people around you who loved that well? I believe that God's power would be released in our church in an incredibly powerful way if we could learn how to love really well. And that that's why Jesus calls us towards this. He calls us towards it. Because, you know, when, when things happen in your life that you didn't expect, how are you going to get through that and bear the burden of that without companions who love you? When things are going this way instead of this way, how are you, where are you going to get the encouragement from? How are you going to get through that without people who deeply love you? Whenever you are confused about what should I do, how are you going to figure that out without people who are going to point you to the truth and help you understand what's going on in your life, who truly love you and want to bring out the best in you? And that won't happen by accident. It just won't. I mean, you all know, you know that like it's, it's, it's hard to really love people. I mean, everybody here knows this, especially like, like you know this in your workplace, teenagers, you know this with your parents, right? It is easy to bring out the worst in them, right? Like you, you know how to push their buttons, right? You know exactly what to say to bring out the worst in them. It is easy for all of us to bring out the worst in someone, but to bring out the best, to love someone in a way that brings out the best, whew, that's hard. Yet Jesus says the one way that people will recognize his followers is how they love. 
That's it. And I believe that God could move in us in incredible ways. But Jesus said that, and I don't think he did this by accident. He said, listen, I'm giving you this new commandment that you have to love each other, that you have to, just as I've loved you, you should love each other. This is how everyone's going to know each other, that you love one another. Whole, that whole thing is not encapsulated in an I statement. It's encapsulated in a we statement. That the only way this works is in the power of we that all of us engage in it, that we engage in loving one another, that we engage in a togetherness journey of saying, together we will find our way in loving each other. And I believe that just like in any relationship, and you all, you all know this, like whether it's, whether it's with your kids or whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with a friend, if both parties in a relationship aren't fully engaged in the relationship, it doesn't work so well, does it? You don't experience the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. You don't experience the kind of bringing out the best without that. And it's the same way for all of us. For this to work as a church family, as Jesus' family, we have to engage in it. We have to say that together we are going to put an effort in to be known for our love and how we love each other. Now that's why um, I believe that ever since even Acts 2, since the beginning of the church, there have been three environments that have been essential to helping this togetherness factor work, the we factor work. And it's something that's fairly countercultural these days because you know the average evangelical Christian goes to church 1.9 times per month. Actually, I think it's 1.8. 1.8 times per month. So the amount of times that they learn or are engaged in this um, shoulder to shoulder in front of God, experiencing his love and learning who he is and then applying that with others, like a little bit more than one time a month. Now, if you were training for a 5K and you ran once a month to train for the 5K, how, th- how well do you think you'd do? Not so good, right? So in the same way, in your journey with Christ, we cheat ourselves when we don't put ourselves fully into something and say, I want to be in all the way. And so here's the three environments I want to encourage you over the next eight weeks just for eight weeks to try this. I know there are lots of priorities in your life, but for eight weeks, will you engage in this and say, I want to seek God to be the kind of person who loves and be a part of the we factor of loving and totally immerse myself in understanding what this looks like and feels like and is like by immersing yourself in weekend worship. The next seven weeks, come. Be a part of that. Learn what we talk about as we're going to explore what it means to love one another and all the statements that Jesus made about that. We're going to, we're going to explore what it's being a small group. Small group's huge. We've been talking about that all this last month. Be in a small group. If you're not in a small group yet, you can still get in one. You just write that on your card today. We'll help you find a small group. So lots of home groups. And if you're in a home group, pick up this book today. It's, some of you are st- you're studying this Love One Another book. And if you're not in a home group, you can still get this book. This is a great resource to immerse yourself in, to have these conversations about it. And then... Journey with us on a daily journey. We, uh, we designed a daily experience for you, five days a week, for the next seven weeks, that not only on the weekend and in your group, and if you're in a group that's not, not talking about the love one another because you're studying something else, it's okay, guess what you can do there? You can practice how to love one another because that's, that's where church happens. That's where you really practice and work this out. But pick up this daily devotional. You can get it out at Ministry Central today, and every day let yourself contemplate the whole subject for the week. Immerse yourself in it and say, 
how am I doing at loving one another? God, change me and engage me and help me be changed. And I guarantee that if you do that, it will change your relationships. It will change your relationships with each other. It will change your relationships in your family. It will change you. And so I want to encourage you to engage in that. So today, what I want to do is start this whole conversation off. I want you to, we're just going to talk about this one scripture passage that Jesus talks about today and really explore what is he talking about? What does he mean when he says, love one another? Because in John 13, what he's really doing is he's summing up. He's saying, I got this new commandment for you, this new thing that I want you to understand. And he's summing it up because he is about to depart. He's about to to leave the planet. Now, if you were his disciples, right, and you have spent three plus years with this guy who is God himself and you've seen him do miracles and you've seen him love, you've seen how he lived and you've been with him and he is about to depart and he's given you the mission of like, I want you to like invest into the world. Like this rescue mission is so important and he's about to leave. What's the thing that you're wondering? Come on, what do we do now? What's important? Can you give me one thing that's going to help me guide through this journey. Can you give us one thing, Jesus, that will help us for the rest of our lives and for the rest of of this mission that you want us to be a part of, being a part of the kingdom? Give us one thing. And that's when Jesus gives them this new commandment to love each other. And essentially, in this commandment, this is what he's saying. This is what he's boiling it down to. He's basically saying, love one another. Everything else is second. He's saying, I want you to love one another and make everything else secondary. Love one another first. Make everything else secondary. So you know, should, I, should I worry about my reputation? Not before you love. Should I, should I try to be right all the time? Not before you love. Should I get all my beliefs right? Not before you love. Like everything, all the foundation of everything that we are as Christians is to be built on love. That's what Jesus is saying. And so this morning I want to have a conversation with you about what does that look like? To love one another and make everything else second. To make love the primary foundation of everything that we are, to love one another. And so this morning, if you want to, get it, you want to pull out your, your uh, outline, it's in a, the little thing called the scoop. And inside you can see, you can follow along, take some notes, follow along with the scriptures that we talk about this morning. As we talk about love one another, make everything else secondary, which is in part, Jesus saying, listen, when in doubt, choose love. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, everything else is secondary. So when in doubt, choose love. Choose love. So, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Now, it's interesting because in the scripture, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. What is new about this commandment? Now, if you're if you followed along the scriptures, you've read the Gospels, you know that this is not the first time that Jesus has mentioned love. I mean, love is something so primary, he's talked about it a lot. In fact, elsewhere, he said when, when one of the Pharisees came to him and said, hey, you know, I've, I've followed all the Ten Commandments, I'm a great person, I've done, I've done all the right things, what else should I do? And Jesus says, well, let me sum up all, like, because he basically says, what's What's the most important thing, Jesus, of all the things that I've been told to do to follow God? What's the most important thing? And he sums it up, right? And he says what? Love God, love people. And yet he comes here to his disciples in these last conversations. He says, I give you a new commandment. 
Now, I think for, for most people who are Christians, if you followed God a long time, you kind of have the first half of what's called the great commandment, love God and love people. You have the first half down, right? Love God, yeah. I love God, right? Jesus, like you, Jesus, if Jesus has become a reality to you, if you've been awakened to Jesus and you're convinced that what he did on the cross and his resurrection has changed everything for you, you love God. You want to love God. You are working that out in your life. And to be truthful and honest, let's face it, the reality of Jesus is much easier to love than the reality of people in general, right? Like, people are just harder to love than Jesus. And so, that's not so easy. And I think part of the issue, I mean, if if you're here and you've experienced not being loved in Christianity, you've experienced a bad experience there, I understand, so have I. And, And usually it's because Someone is getting the first half of that commandment down, but they're not working out the second half because the truth is love each other, love people, that's a little more confusing. It's a little more difficult. It's as we attempt to interact with our families and our coworkers and our friends and our schoolmates and our teachers, like working out that part, sometimes it's just really confusing. Like, for instance, when someone disagrees with you, right? Parents, don't you have this place in your own life when Aren't there times when you disagree with your child about what should be next, about what should happen, right? And, and they don't agree with you, and you can tell by their reaction that they are in full disagreement with you, and they're showing it to you. Whether It's when they're young, and they're in the grocery store, and they're disagreeing with you in public, and you're like, oh. Or whether it's at home, right, and you're having a conversation, and they, they get out there, oh, so disgusted with that. I get that a lot of my 18-year-olds still are able to pull off a, come on, dad, really, you know? So, like, whether it's in any of those situations, don't you find yourself in a place where you're like, do I, do I help them not make a mistake? Do I, do I restrict them or do I give them the freedom to fail? Like, what do I do? And I think that's what Jesus is telling us when this love one another works out, when we're trying to work out love people. It's essentially, listen, when in doubt, choose love. Don't make other things primary. Make love primary. So you got to ask yourself, like, what's, what's the best way to inspire them in love? What's the best way to help them grow, to help them become free? What's the best way to instill love in them in the situation? Or, here's another one. Now, guys, you know this, right? Like, if you're married, you know that there have been times where you've been right, and your wife has been wrong, but you still had to apologize. Because the way you showed you were right was wrong. And so you had to go back and say, yeah, sorry about the way I expressed myself. That, right? You could be totally right and yet have to apologize because you were wrong. Because, why? Because when in doubt, you didn't choose love, you chose to be right. We see this worked out on social media all the time, don't you? People disagree, and how do they disagree? Do they choose love when in doubt? Are they using this rule, when in doubt, choose love? Are they making other things besides being right secondary or primary? Are they making their political views secondary or primary? What's going on? This, this, is, this is what Jesus is saying. Everything else is secondary. You choose love as the foundation. You make it the primary thing, and it will change your life. You choose to say, you know what? I can choose to be right, or I can choose to seek understanding. I can choose to love. I can choose to express my opinion in a way that gives room for others and loves them too. 
And you've, you've, I know you've experienced this in all kinds of different places in your life. And it's hard sometimes. I know it's hard to admit when, when you've said something that offended someone, it's hard to admit that you're wrong. Sometimes it was intentional and sometimes it's not intentional and you're just like, well, they just, let, they just wearing their feelings on their coat sleeve. But again, is reputation more important than love? He says, when in doubt, choose love. If you don't know what to do, choose love. Now, it would be easy, it would be really nice if people were just easy to love, wouldn't it? Like, if just people were just easier to love, like, it would be so great. Like, if they would just, what, you know what, they just love you, and they love your opinion, and they always agree with you, and they think you're awesome, and when they see you, they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. Wouldn't it be great when you show up to work, and people that like, came running to the door, it is so good to see you, I've been waiting for you to get here. Like, wouldn't that be great? Like, when you got to school, and your teachers were like, I just love you. I'm gl- so glad you're in my class today. This is so exciting. Listen, if you want that, buy a puppy. That's what they do, right? People relationships are much more challenging than that. And so, listen, you're going to have places in your life where it doesn't go smoothly. And my point is, when it doesn't go smoothly, this is what Jesus says, love one another. Find your way in love. When in doubt, choose love. Now, remember, Jesus said that this was a new command. So what's new about this command? What is new that the disciples haven't heard before? Here it is. In Jesus' family, and this is what Jesus is saying, in my family, when someone doesn't love you right, when they're not treating you well, when you consider them an enemy, choose love. Don't, when, when things are like, hey, I, I, this person's not really good, I don't know what they're doing, choose love. When when you are in a relationship and you're like, I don't understand because this is how we loved in my family of origin, right? Like in my family of origin, my, my, my dad's family, um, it was you loved by being really loud and arguing your point. That's how they related to each other. That's all I knew for a long time growing up. Guess how that worked out in my marriage? Not so good. I had to learn a new way how to love. And Jesus is saying in my family, we don't love the way we prefer to love. We love the way Jesus Jesus is saying, you watch me. Because I know that you don't have it all down when it comes to love. So you need to watch me. And it brings us to this question. And when my first response isn't love, God, what do I do? How do I know what to do? How do I know how to respond? And it's this. When you don't know how to love, watch how Jesus loved. When you don't know how to love, watch how Jesus loved. So that's the second thing I want to talk to you this morning about. You get to watch how Jesus loved. When you don't know how to love someone that's just really hard to love, Jesus had that all the time. So watch Jesus. When you're frustrated because you're like, I'm trying to make this person feel loved, but they don't feel loved by me, watch Jesus. When you're in a relationship where you're like, ah, that person's life is just going off the rails, and I don't know whether to comfort them or to confront them. Watch Jesus. He had that all the time. He did that with people all the time. And that's, that's the new commandment part of this. Is, and it's not just something that Jesus said. This is something that Jesus lived. Now, here's how I know that. Because if you read the Gospels, you see Jesus saying very challenging things to people all the time. All the time he's saying hard things to people. And yet they keep coming back. Why, I ask myself this question all the time. Why would you keep coming back to the situation where you're like keep getting challenged. I mean, he says to 
Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? Now, most of you, if someone said that to you, in whatever way they said it to you, you would probably be like, we're not friends anymore, right? Unfriend, unfollow, done. Yet, people keep coming back to Jesus and saying, I want to be around you. I want to be with you. And the only compelling historical reason I can think of for this is that in Jesus' presence, they felt so loved. They watched how they, he loved them, and they felt so loved that they were compelled to be back in his presence. They knew everything that came out of his mouth. Everything that was about was about love. It was founded on love, and everything else was second. And so they were willing to accept hard things because they knew they were loved, because they knew it was about relationship. Now, if you really want to understand this, you have to understand the experience of the disciples. So in John 13, I want you to understand what was happening. When Jesus says this, just before he says this incredible statement that sums it all up, they had been out all day. They had been doing ministry. They'd been walking around. Um, first century, that means they're in, they're, in those, they're in sandals, leather sandals, and they're walking around. They're doing stuff all day long. It's hot. They're sweaty. They're getting all around. They come in for dinner. Now, have you ever had a pair of leather sandals, you know, that you wear in the summer? You know, you get them wet in the lake, and you walk around with them, and you sweat in them. Do you know what happens when you take them off? Let me tell you. I I had a pair of sandals like this one time, and I went into a room, and it was so hot. It was like 100 degrees outside, and I came in, and I I took the sandals off, and because I was so hot, and it was air conditioned, I'm like, I'm just going to let my feet cool. And I took them off, and do you know the moment, what I thought in that moment? What died in here? It was like, oh no, that's my feet. Like, that's my feet that have that terrible stench because of those sandals, right? You, you understand that these are 12 guys who have been walking around doing all this stuff, and they walk in the room, everybody takes off their shoes, they sit on the floor next to each other to eat. The power of stench here is strong, Right? And that's why in first century Jerusalem, the, the Jewish tradition is that the lowest servant on the totem pole, the person who is considered least in the room, the new guy, gets to wash people's feet. Because nobody wants, you can't, you can't, I mean, if you try to eat in that stench, you're like, right? Like, you, you can't do it. And so the, somebody has to wash the feet. So here's these guys all walking in the room. There's no servant in the room. And so they all walk in the room. And they're all looking to see who's going to do this. Who's going to wash the feet? Well, I'm not going to do it. Now, those guys will think less of me if I do it. If I do it, I'll, I'll be saying I'm not as good as them. I'm not going to do that. And they all begin to stare around the room. But their blank stare becomes and comes to an astonished stare because they see they all walked into the room and the, the towel and the basin are right there and they just walked right by. But their astonished stare becomes quite apparent because Jesus is over picking up the towel in the wash basin. Jesus, who they consider to be their Messiah, to be God incarnate in the flesh that they follow, that they think never could you be about any of that. Never, God, could you, you shouldn't ever be doing that. This is the man who is picking up the towel and the basin and leaning into their mess and leaning into their stench and saying, I love you. And they're embarrassed and they're overwhelmed. And some of them are like, no, you won't do that to me. And yet Jesus says, listen, fellas, I'm not trying to show you up. I'm trying to show you love. This is what love looks like. You put everything else secondary. And you love. 
And this is when Jesus then says, as they're walking through this moment, he says, listen, I love you, and I'm going to give you this new commandment. Love each other. I don't just love each other like you've loved each other in the past. Don't just love each other like you learned to love in your own families. Love like I have loved. Put your own needs, put your own reputation, put your own worries behind you, and love. Don't worry about how people are loving you. Love. And it will change you. And in that moment, and for some of you who follow Jesus, you've been overwhelmed by Christ's love. And this was the defining moment for his followers so that when they were in prison and mocked and going to be crucified themselves, they could still choose to love because they saw what love really looked like. And they said, I want that. I choose that. I will always choose that rather than bitterness or hatred or anything else. I will choose love because I know it is foundational to my experience as a follower of God. And Jesus' kind of sacrificial love can still inspire you. It can still instill in you that's confidence. And in this book, in the Love One Another book um, by Jerry Sitzer, he says this. He says, the church is called to function as a body, as if it were a kind of incarnation of Christ. Do you get this? Like, the church is called to function as an incarnation of Christ, as Christ himself in the world to others. Just as Christ was the incarnation of God in the world, the image of the invisible God, the God that when people saw God, they thought he was angry or violent or absent, and just, no, that's not who he is. Look at me. This is who God is. Just in the same way, the church is the incarnation of Christ. Mother Teresa said it, right? That Jesus says, only our hands and feet can. Your hands and This is what the world sees. This is the incarnation. This is your role as a follower of Christ to be the incarnation of Jesus in the world. The incarnation of Christ to each other. That it is in community, it is in this this relationships with each other that Jesus was saying, that's where you will experience my love and you can experience my love other places. But it is when you love each other that we bring the living Christ and all of his love to each other. It is through your life that you bring the life of Christ to someone else. So what does loving one another look like? I mean, what's this really look at? How do we we bring the love of Christ to others in this way? Well, throughout the New Testament, there are a whole bunch of instances where the same Greek word, one another, gets used. And if you study them, what you see is that 59 times that it's used, it is really just explaining what Jesus said. How do I love one another? Here they are, 59 more times. Here's how you love one another. Here's how you love one another. And in a lot of ways, the rest of the New Testament is just an explanation of who Jesus was and what what he wanted us to live like. And so we're going to look at seven of them over the next seven weeks. We're going to look at seven ways that Jesus said, this is what love looks like. This is how you live this out, how you accept one another. It's big. How do I accept one another? In a culture of tolerance, what does it mean to accept one another? How do I forgive one another? In a culture of anger and bitterness and rivalry, how do we be people that stand out because we forgive one another? How do we pray for one another? More than just saying, hey, I'll pray for you, but I don't, I don't really do it. Like, how do, I, how do I pray for you in a powerful way that brings the power of God into your life, that loves you in a way that changes and transforms your life? How do I encourage one another? How do we be people who 
our real encouragements to each other, whether it comes naturally or not. How do I care for one another? How do I look at the burdens that someone's going through and say, I want to care for you. I'm not, just, I'm not so consumed with my own stuff that I can't care for you too. How do I sharpen one another? How do we be people who don't just say, ah, oh, that's okay, don't worry about it, but say, no, I'm going to speak love into your life and in such a way that makes you a better Jesus follower, that gets you closer to Jesus, that points you to Jesus. How do we ignite one another to be part of the mission of Christ that will change the world? How do we part of that? That is our next journey. And I want to encourage you, this is what changes your life. When you engage in Jesus' love and you, life and his love, and you engage in letting that flow through you, it will transform you. Often we're looking for like another piece of information to transform us, but Jesus is saying, no, you let my life flow through you, you act it out, you live it out, and it will transform you. And that will take choices. Listen, there are relationships in your life and friendships in your life that if you learned how to love one another, it would be transformative to you. If you learned how to do this, it would transform you because you're being transformative to them. You're bringing out the best in them, and it's going to bring out the best in you. God wants to transform you and change you. But if we're going to really grapple with this, love one another and make everything else secondary, let's face it, there's a lot of things that we get switched around in there. We're going to have to immerse ourselves in it. You can't really explore this without focus. And that's what Jesus invites us to. And so my question for you is like, what, what keeps you from doing that? What are the barriers in your life that are keeping you from experiencing the kind of love that Jesus deeply wants you to be a part of. And I think about myself, and uh, I, this past week, um, I, I, was, I was in a dead sleep at like 12.45 at night, and uh, one of my kids came upstairs, and they ran into my room, and they said, hey, now you, you, know, you know what it's like to be in a deep sleep and be awakened suddenly by your 18-year-old? And this is what he says. He says, Dad, the microwave's on fire, and I can't even breathe downstairs. Right? You're like, okay, you're from a dead sleep, to the microwave's on fire, and I can't breathe. I mean, he said other stuff, but I couldn't hear it after the microwave's on fire. All I heard was fire, and you know what you're picturing, right? There is smoke billowing out. I mean, he can't breathe, so the house on fire. So I jump out of bed and make it to, to turn the corner of the door, start down the stairs, get hit by this terrible stench that is burning my eyes, slip on the stairs, fall back on my, like, shoulder that's already not good, and now I can't even, like, move my arms, so hobbling downstairs like this, and to find out that, like, one of them thought, like, they, apparently my children need more cooking lessons. So they, they took some dry noodles with sriracha sauce in it, wrapped in foil, and they just threw it in the microwave. Who cares about it? Because they're used to, like, frozen meals, right? You just throw those in the microwave. They just threw it in the microwave, set it for two minutes, and walked away. And, of course, not only did it catch on fire, but the sriracha sauce, like that pepper sauce, then permeated the air. So at 1 o'clock in the morning, I can't even be in my house. Like, we are all outside, standing outside our house, because it, it's unbreathable in the house, you know, in our night clothes outside. Fantastic. Just beautiful. And I'm going... How do I love my children in this moment? Because I am really angry with them, right? I am like, I'm like holding my arm, who's, I've already been through like PT for this. And I'm like, oh man, they're like, dad. And they're kind of giggling. They still think it's funny because it's like a dorm. It's like a dorm in our house right now, right? They're in college. They still live at my home and I have to lecture them all the time. This is not your dormitory. You have to go away to college if you want to do that. Here, there are still rules and sanity. And so I'm just, oh, I'm so frustrated. 
And I've got to make choices in that moment. How I'm going to talk to them. How I'm going to love them. Now, I know that that kind of stuff happens in your life too. Now, I know that there are times where you choose other things than love. You choose to be angry. You choose not to forgive. You choose reputation. You choose sarcasm. You choose all sorts of things, right? But Jesus says choose love. Because it's only love that will transform you. It's only love that will build a foundation that will change your relationships and change you. And it is only And this is why this is worth grappling with. And this is what Jesus says. It is only love that completes the mission of God in the world. He says, it is your love for one another that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. People who don't know Jesus don't get to know Jesus if your love isn't as powerful as Jesus' love. If you're not moving towards what Jesus is and who he is and how he loves, people won't discover it. That is why it's so important that you love. And so I'm just going to ask you this morning, how are you going to engage in that in the next seven weeks? Is that important enough for you as a disciple of Jesus? Is it important enough for you because you have experienced the other side of not having love in your life, not having it in your family of origin? You've experienced loneliness. You've experienced insecurity. You've experienced depression. You've experienced lots of things in your life. Is this important enough that you will engage in it and train for it like it is the important race that Jesus says it is? That you know what's on the line. And so here's my challenge to you. How are you going to engage in that this this coming month? What are you going to choose? What's going to be most important to you? Will you choose to engage in weekend worship and a small group and in a daily experience? Will you pick that stuff up out there and say, yeah, I'm in. I want to be transformed, and I will immerse myself in it, and I will train for it, and I will listen for God in it, and I will practice it. I'm going to do it because I want to be the kind of disciple, the kind of follower of Jesus that people look at and they go, I think I met Jesus there. And it transformed me. Because the power of God can be released in your life. Because you know that things will change when you begin to love others. And they will. Not just in their life, they'll change in your life. How will you engage? And what's the barrier? What's going to keep you from that? So I want to take a minute and pray, and I want you to be able to process that, what God wants from you, what God's inviting you to this next month. And I just want you to sit in a worship song and consider your response. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we try all sorts of things that aren't love to try to find fulfillment, to try to find what it means to be in your presence. We seek many things that aren't you. And they always let us down. And so, Lord, it is time for us just to seek you, to immerse ourselves in seeking you and saying, God, I want to love you, but I want to learn how to love others because that's what's going to transform my life. The one thing I want to be known for, God, in my life is not money or reputation or being famous. God, the one thing I want to be known for, the one thing that you are known for, Jesus, let us be known for, and that's love. That we would love one another so powerfully that when people saw our lives, they would see you. God, may we never be satisfied with anything else. May you help us, Holy Spirit, to identify barriers in the next few minutes. And will you help us to make the commitment that you're calling us to make that we might be better at loving one another. In Jesus' name.